So welcome to another show. Uh, we've got David Petrovate on today, who is a career change coach, author and speaker. So welcome to today's show, David. Well, thank you for having me, Jivan. So I think, especially in today's day and age, career change is such a huge thing for people. Are we in the right job? When do I transition? I don't like this career anymore, having done this for five or ten years. How is it that you transition and why do we get that feeling that we need to? Well, I think that any time that we're in a position and it no longer fulfills us. So you're showing up for work every day and asking yourself, what am I doing here? Um, you look, you, you become what I call a clock watcher. So, okay, what's the latest that I can get into work? What's the earliest I can leave? And what happens in between? How much enjoyment, how much satisfaction do I have in the work that I do? And we know, Jivan, that no work is 100% fun, okay? Although we might strive for that, it's really about the idea that most of what I do is enjoyable. The reason why it's enjoyable is it is a good match for who I am. And I think we're living in an age where more people are willing to explore who they are than in the past. I mean, people made career decisions for very different reasons 50, 60 years ago than they do now. And so in that period of introspection, people will look at what they do and ask themselves, is this the best way to show up in life with the skills and experience that I have? So is it more about a trade-off then between income, uh, having some sort of meaning, and obviously using your gifts as well, your skill set? Well, and I think it's about having both. It doesn't have to be an either or, because one of the things that we always explore is what does it cost to live where you do? So I was located in the Bay Area for over 20 years. That's one of the most expensive areas in the country and perhaps even in the world. And to say, cost out what your living expenses would be and how do you factor that in to what you would be earning so that you can live a comfortable lifestyle. So I think that, you know, the both go together where you have to consider all of these different factors with what is going to contribute to being a happy life. So for me, if we look at the most successful people, they are doing something that they enjoy to do. So coming back to your earlier point, we're not going to enjoy everything. So, you know, if you're a professional tennis player, for example, you're probably not going to enjoy all of the fitness all of the time, but it's in line with a, a goal that you do enjoy. You have to be good at the thing that you're doing as well, because there's no point in being a fish climbing a tree and then you need an inherent meaning as well so for those nine to five individuals who are clock watchers as you referred to is it because they are in the wrong industry are they in the wrong career are they doing a job that doesn't fulfill their skill set well i think that that's what they have to look at jivan is okay what is going on here is do i love what i'm currently doing but there are aspects of it that are not working for me. So it could be that 
you've been doing the same type of work for 10 years and you're no longer feeling challenged, what can you do to create new challenges within that position? So you really don't have to quit that job. You can simply talk to a supervisor or manager and say, what can I do to expand what I offer in terms of my position? So it's always, like you say, you're setting a goal. And what are some short-term goals? What are some long-term goals? Now, for other people, they're probably going to look at this and say, you know, I've been doing the same kind of work for 10 years. And I don't see opportunities for growth here just because of the nature of the work that I'm doing. So now I need to think beyond where I currently work. Are there other companies that maybe would offer what I don't currently have? And then there are going to be those people who say, you know, been there, done that, have the T-shirt. I don't want to continue in this line of work. I want to make a change to something else. So there you have at least three scenarios of what people would be typically dealing with in that nine to five job. And we're also finding out, and I'm sure that as a coach, you're probably experiencing this. When it comes to work, the days of people staying in a job from the time they begin in their early 20s till the time they retire in their 60s, which is can be about 40 years of work, that's no longer the way we approach work. We're finding that for young people, they will most likely have 14 different positions during their career, if not more. So we're looking at changes every two to four years. And they can be significant changes for people. It's funny you said that. I, I've got a pen and paper in front of me as I do on every sort of show, whether I'm a guest on other shows or whether I am obviously running my own podcast. And as you were talking, before you mentioned that, I actually wrote down decades fast pace. And that was to talk about what you've just said. It used to be that you'd come out of school, you'd find a job and you'd work there throughout your life and retire with a pension. And you would, you know, get paid more every year for a very similar job. The days of that are, there, there are some people who still do that. But with the fast paced nature of today's world, it's you can you can have a new career every decade if you wanted to. The amount of information you can get and learn a new skill, do that for a decade. And is it a case then with that being the case that we have more of a luxury today to be able to find something that we want to do as opposed to have to do as you had to do in the past to pay the mortgage and bring up the kids for example is it more of a what I would like to do and what is my purpose rather than a requirement for an income well, I think that's an important part of it is that it's that reconsideration. It's a certainly a different world out there today that most of the companies that people were employed by, okay, they had longevity. You had companies that were around for 100 years. And we're finding that that's no longer the case. So that let's say in, in this country, um, you worked for Woolworths and Woolworths had a long history until they went out of business. 
Okay, and there you can go through many, many different companies that no longer exist, certain airlines where people thought, well, they hired me. I know that I can work here until I choose to retire. And so they settle into that position until they find out that it changes. So with acquisitions, mergers, just reorganization, uh, people now working remotely. So the whole work model has changed recently. And so now we're still in an adjustment period as to what that means for people. So if I no longer have to live where I work, let's say you were in the Bay Area, I could relocate to a much cheaper part of the country or even the world and do just what we're doing right now, which is we get on Zoom. And that's the way we communicate. And people are saying, yes, but I don't like that. Well, I think it's, they're still in an adjustment phase with all of this. And eventually we'll just, it'll become commonplace. But is that, but is that down to the, the changing uh, scenery, essentially, of employment, as opposed to what you want to do based on your life experience. So, for example, there are career changes. So, for me, career changes are twofold. Or, well, you could say threefold. One is that you no longer like the job that you're doing and you want to find another job. Secondly, you're in a career that isn't paying as well as what it could do based on the changing environment. So you want to find another, that career or industry might be going down and there's a new emerging career that you want to jump onto. Or the third is the meaning side. You're doing a, a job that you don't have any affinity for and you have come to the realisation that it's not just about money anymore. It's about a purpose and using your skills and what you used to love doing as a kid, whatever it may be, to change careers. So for me, there's more than one way that a career change can go and i think we've touched on a few of those what have you got most experience with and which of those do you think is the most common type of career change or do you think it's a, a you know a fair 33 percent split each it's probably all of the above jibun as i work with clients yeah there are those who say um this is what i've been earning over this amount of time and it no longer matches what I see as the worth that I bring to the workplace or, you know, what the market supports. You know, I'm, I work for a company that's doing quite well financially, and I believe that I should be compensated based upon that. So that's one area. Then there's another one where it's about um, I've developed new skills and I've built up an experience and now it's time to take it to a different level. So is are there opportunities where I currently work or do I need to look outside of that? And then there's the whole idea of meaning. And I think my experience in working with clients over these years is when their work has meaning, they are more invested in terms of the time that they spent and what they do. And then it becomes a matter of, so how do you identify your meaning and purpose in life? And I think that what I've learned, especially being older, 
is that changes. I think when, you, like you were talking about just coming out of college, you're probably going to look for something that matches the type of learning that you have, the type of training initially. And then once you're in that setting, then you're going to be, hopefully you're going to begin to grow and say, okay, this is where I see my industry going. Uh, I need to get additional training, additional education, additional experience around this. So what is that going to look like? I think that it used to be that what you were trained for initially, you could do your entire work life. I think about my father, who was a postal employee. So he delivered the mail every day. What he did when he began on day one and what he did the day he retired were no different after 40 years. He was still sorting mail, taking it out and delivering it to people and no big change there. But today we don't really even encourage that. And again, it gave him st stability. And for many people, that is something that they value. And it's so, and so it's how you would create that stability in what you do, knowing that change is inevitable. But then could you look at it from two different perspectives? One is, um, well, let's look at it from not the postman's perspective, but from a societal perspective. Is it not good for society to have individuals doing the same job for a period of 40 years so that society can function in the best way possible? Well, then my question back to that is, and how would society grow as a result of someone doing the same type of work? for 40 years, because obviously technology is going to change where a lot of what people did manually now becomes automated. You know, there's the whole concern about artificial intelligence and robots and how they will take over in the workplace. And so I think that it's really about looking at society and first of all, assessing where it is now and are we okay with the status quo or do we need to make changes? And when you look at society, there are so many components to that, Jivan. There is the political side, there's the economic side, you can go, there's the educational, the health side. And all of those now need to be taken in a holistic approach as to oppose, well, politics doesn't really deal with healthcare but we know it does, okay? So that's been a shift where it's less isolated and more integrated. So again, I think it's where society is. The other thing that I've seen, if you talk about a 40 year period, is that we now look at global growth, not just within a specific country, because you're in a, a different country than I am right now. 40 years ago, would we be having this conversation on Zoom? Zoom hadn't even been heard of. It, it probably wasn't even a concept. I mean, we talked about when I was young, the idea that we would be doing what we're doing and had no idea about how that would occur. Gee, you're on the other side of the world. The only way we can do that is on a telephone. 
and how effective is that? So a couple of things, as you said, it's about the idea first. There was ideas in when I was young and TV programs that alluded to the fact that you could speak to other people across the world with a visual. And in order to make things happen, we have to have ideas first. And that's a real strong belief for me that instead of chasing a job, how can we create value, create ideas that transcend jobs and the job market? And for me, that's one of life's big uh, questions is to say, well, what can I produce that's going to provide so much value that actually that's going to be my purpose, my job, my career, whatever you want to say. And it's actually going to employ all these other people that might have that same ambition as well. And that's how you can create change. You can create some sort of revolution or just a create complete change to how people live. Look at the car, look at the aeroplane, as you said, Zoom as well. So if people are looking to change careers, bearing that in mind as well, what are the practical steps that people can can take because we've talked theoretically about the reasons why people would change career what career change actually means from from uh, someone outside looking in or on a more holistic societal standpoint but what about on the practical on the practical steps because yes it's all nice saying oh, i'll go for the job that pays this and a job that that you can do that but what about reality people who have got kids and mortgages and have got health concerns or whatever other sort of obstacles you want to put into the mix how do we practically go about doing that well i think it's by creating a plan i'm not sure that many people in my parents generation really had a plan for how they were going to live out their purpose they just looked for a position that was open applied and it was pretty easy to get hired. They didn't have the long, lengthy interview process and hiring process that we're involved in now. It's like, oh, you're a warm body. You have the basic skills. You can start tomorrow. So again, now we require that people have a plan. And so it's sitting down, if you have the skills to do that, creating a plan, for how you're going to move from one job to another or working with someone like us as a coach who guides us through that. Because what I find, and I'm sure you find too, Jivan, is working with clients. At the end of the session, I'll ask them, so how did that work for you? How did what you learned today help you? And they will typically say to me, oh, I never thought about what you brought up. So they don't see the same picture that we do based upon the type of work that we perform. So it's helping them look at other options. And one of the notes that I wrote to myself prior to us having the podcast was look for opportunities to stretch yourself. So if you're considering doing another type of work, one of the things that I did in making my transition from being an educator to a career coach and speaker and author was to volunteer. That was safe. Now, it happened to be that I volunteered when I was between jobs. I had quit 
the type of work that I had done for 34 years without a plan. So I learned the hard way, the importance of having a plan rather than feeling my way through it. But is that not sometimes a good way to do it? Because you have given yourself no other option than to forge ahead with with that idea. Because sometimes in life it's it's the whole free will versus determinism is it or is it should I make a plan and try and follow it or should I just take the jump and work it out as I go along? And that's well life's big dichotomies, isn't it, in, in that respect? Yeah, it is a leap of faith. And for me, I thought it was going to be easy because I was a person who was, at that point, I had completed a, a doctorate and I thought, oh, I'm going to be so employable. Uh, I've gotten awards for the work that I've done. And I walked into my job search with that mindset and then quickly realized that that wasn't enough. There wasn't a real plan. So the plan does not have to be one that is set in stone. It's more about, okay, what is it that I want? And what's often missing with people is clarity. The importance of being clear. If you're looking to network with people to help find that next position, is it helpful for them to know exactly what it is that you're looking for? As opposed to, well, I'm looking for a job. Well, what does that mean? Yeah, okay. it's, it's specificity, isn't it? Because yes. if you've got the way that I look at a sort of long term, long term goal is that if you're aiming for, I don't know, if you're going from New York to California, for example, and that's your goal, it it doesn't really matter what happens along the way because your decisions. Let's say you get veered off towards Texas on 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 the route, but actually because you know that you're heading towards California you can just readjust your sale. So the steps along the way can be managed on a more short-term basis because you have a long-term goal. And sometimes in life, that can be the case as well. We don't necessarily need to plan every single step along the way, but when we have something to aim at, every decision and every action we, we make will be to get to that point, even if we have been pushed off course by something. Or it might be a case of actually we change the destination based on the course that we've been moved on. And that, again, is a, a dichotomy, isn't it? That do we, and there's, um, there's a, a stoic phrase that's, if the wind is um, it, if the wind is not blowing in the direction you want it to, you should take to the oars and force your way. Or the other phrase is um, something along the lines of um, how, how can you judge a win for being favorable if you don't know which direction you're heading and they both mean two separate things because one is saying well unless you've got a direction how can you judge what happens to you as being good or you should want something so much that you should go against the current and i think that there can be a middle ground in there somewhere i don't know what your thoughts on on that are well i think the middle ground is a good approach because as i said it doesn't have to be set in stone you could try some volunteer experiences, maybe in more than one area. And that's what I did. I looked at two different directions my career could go in. And so the one I thought, okay, I have an opportunity here to try this out. 
and see if this is something that I would enjoy doing? Or do I want to try go in this other direction and see if that's where I want to be? So in trying both of them, again, it was like, where do I set my sales? Well, at the initially, it was not quite sure. I'm just going to see where it takes me with either of these directions. And I will tell you very quickly, the one went off the table because I had the experience and I thought, there's no way I could see myself doing this on a daily basis. But then I was doing the volunteering with the career counseling. And I thought, I love this. This is more of who I am. It doesn't mean I couldn't do the other. It's just what I'd be willing to put up with everything that's involved in it. So again, that's more that middle ground of exploration. And I think that is something that people oftentimes don't give themselves an opportunity to do is to explore different options through something like volunteering or taking a class and then saying, okay, now it's clearer to me where I need to go. Now that I've accomplished that piece of the plan, and that would be exploration, the next is specification. So if I'm wanting to do career counseling, what I did was what we call informational interviews. I talked to about five people who were doing what I wanted to do and gathered from them, what did you like about it? What didn't you like about it? Um, what advice would you have for someone who was moving from this field to this field? And after those five, uh, I spoke to a person and she said, oh, this, this has been great. If we had an opening, we would love to hire someone like you. And two weeks later, she called and said, there's an opening. So that was how I got my foot in the door with actually working in a paid position. So again, it was part of a plan. So exploration, then more specification, then information gathering, so that I, it was, I had an informed decision that I was making. And then finally, opportunity. As I said, you know, when I did this, I didn't have a real plan. All I said to the person that I gave my resignation letter to was, I don't know what I want to do next. I just know this isn't it. Well, it would have been yeah. more helpful for me to know where I was headed. Absolutely. So, yeah. I think um, sometimes in life is to know what we want. We have to know what we don't want first. We don't want this. We don't want that. We don't want, you know, a partner who does this. We don't want a partner who does that. And it actually narrows down what it is you want. Um, and then you can focus focus on that because a lot of people have a job that's soul destroying. It's not in line with their values. It's not in line with their beliefs. It's not in line with their skill set. They're an introvert doing a sales job or they are an extrovert sitting in, in front of a laptop crunching numbers. It just doesn't really fulfill what they need to do because I'm a strong believer that there is start with with a tree or with a breed of dog they have certain things that they are more inclined to do a greyhound versus a, a rottweiler they have a completely different set of skills and we have to understand what skills we have as well as overlapping that with the values because there's no point in me trying to be a professional sprinter i don't have the the leg span i don't have the height for it i don't have the physique for it so for me to put all my effort even if i really enjoy something 
such as sprinting, there's no point in me trying to succeed within that because it will never work. So we have to sometimes, as you said at the very start, introspect and say, what is it I enjoy doing? What is it I'm good at? What are my value systems? And how can I move forward with that and provide value in that area? Because at the end of the day, the money will come from that, won't right. it? And that's that's the key, the key thing. Focus on value first and and money will come, come after. I mean, obviously you're an author. If you look at books such as Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and the Game of Thrones series, um, Saxon stories, etc. They didn't go out thinking, "Well, how can I become a millionaire?" They came out with the idea of how can I write the best possible story I can, and if something is great, people will love it. And that's what we should we should focus on. Talking about books, you're an author, um, as am I. So, talk to me about the books that you have uh, have written, as well as one that you're co-authoring at the moment. So, uh, the ones that I already have out in publication. One of them, the original title was Out of Life Between Jobs, Out of Work, Not Out of Worth. And so that was based upon an actual workshop that I did with a group of job seekers. And I the focus at that time was on dealing with depression during a job search, because you are dealing with a loss. And depression is a natural stage in the grief process. And so when I was done with that, I thought, gee, this is really valuable information. What do I do with it? I could continue to do workshops or maybe reach out to a larger audience. And so I repeated the workshop in a slightly different direction to gather more information about the topic. And what I kept getting was the same feedback from people as to what they were dealing with during a, a job loss and what they needed to help get them through it. So what I came up with were five different areas which had to do with, and I think this is the one that probably you deal with a lot, Jivan, is self-confidence. When people are out of work, especially if they had no choice, it can really affect their self-confidence. And then it was things like commitment, acceptance, resilience, perseverance. Those were the five themes that I found ran through every one of those workshops. And so I created chapters along with exercises to strengthen that for people. So I'm currently in the process of redoing that book, relaunching it under the title, uh, Out of Work, Not Out of Worth, Navigating the Emotional Side of Job Loss. Pretty much the same content, but a clearer title and focus. And then I created a workbook to go along with that, to supplement it. And then the other book that I've written is called Ponderings. And they're basically, it's daily reflections for inspiration and transformation. And so every, it's not every day. I didn't do it as a January 1st to December 31st. It was just broken down into 10 topics that I do daily blogs on and created single paragraphs on a topic that ended with a question for them to journal on. And so the way that I use it is with the person I'm co-authoring uh, the new book, 
is we just, I open it randomly. And I said, it'll always be the perfect reading for that day. And sure enough, it is. So. It's, it's interesting you say about the journal, because I've written, I've not yet published, but my second book is, is similar with the journal. And it is the January to December where it's every day is a question. And I think that's a really great tool for people, isn't it? To actually try and understand from within their own mind, as you've wrote, I think pondering is a great name to ponder about what it is that they want. You also mentioned the self-confidence well, um, side of things. Confidence is quite an interesting one, isn't it? Because if you're doing something well and you're in that environment, you're, you're going to be confident. You know, if you're a, a skateboarder and you're skateboarding, you're going to feel confident. It's more about confidence in a holistic basis, the self-esteem, self-image. And how can we build a self-image or build self-esteem in a way that's going to give us maximum satisfaction and the maximum chance of being our best self? Is that what you're referring to when you talk about confidence in your book? Or have you got a slightly different stance on it? Well, it's like you were saying, it's understanding who you are and how you show up in the world. Are they consistent with one another? I remember hearing someone once say, and he was a career counselor, and I think he was rather well known, that when you go into an interview, you be whatever they're looking for. And I'm thinking, how is that consistent? Because you can only play that role for a certain amount of time before you come across as inauthentic. And I think that's really what self-confidence is about. Jivan is being authentic. Love it. Love it. That's yeah. a great what, way to look what, at it. What is your authentic self? So as you said, it's understanding your skills. It's understanding what you're interested in. What are my values? What is my personality type? And how does that play into what I do? Like you were talking about introversion versus extroversion. If you're an extrovert who's sitting in a cubicle, for eight hours a day, staring at a computer screen, what is that going to do for you as an individual? Also, if you're an introvert forced to get in front of like 100 people at a time and doing presentations, most likely you'll burn out in a rather short time because that's not where you draw your energy. So it's understanding all of those components of who you are and then finding the work that matches that. And one of the things that I'm finding is a term that many of my new clients are bringing is one of the reasons why they want to leave where they are now is they refer to it as a toxic work environment. And I ask them, what does that mean? Well, it means that one, that they're not being recognized for the work that they're doing. They're only, the people above them are only pointing out what they're doing wrong. And think about what that does to a person's morale. Yeah. There, yeah, there doesn't seem to be a sense of cooperation. It's more about dog eat dog. Very yeah, it sounds to me like it's a management situation as opposed to a leading situation. Because when you're a manager, you point out people's problems and you take the credit for things they do. Whereas if you're a leader, you actually 
take blame when things go wrong and give credit to others. Um, and that's what I found from toxic environments is that if someone is a manager and they say, do as I say, not as I do, versus a leader who breeds that sort of uh, confidence in them. And that, again, comes from, as you said, the authentic self. That individual is authentic, which means that that shows to other people and they want to follow that authenticity in an individual. And a, a, way, a way for me... That coming back to your earlier point about doing what you're good at, uh, your skill sets, etc. There's two ways, and I've got this in the journal as well, that you can work out possibly what this may be, because this is one of life's big questions. One is what do people give you compliments for? What do they genuinely give you compliments about? Is it about your cooking? Is it about your dress sense? Is it about how you speak? Are you charismatic? Is it about your some sporting achievements? What What is it that people consistently compliment you about? Because people don't give compliments for nothing. It's actually quite hard for a lot of people to give out compliments. So if they are complimenting you, really take note about what that is. The second is what would you do if money wasn't an issue? If you're taking away the economic side and saying, well, it's not about the money. What is it I would want to do? You're going to give your best in that area and it will probably amount to money in, in the long term anyway. What are right. your thoughts on that? Yeah. And when you think about it, I always say to people, okay, think about a person who makes so much money from what we would consider to be housekeeping skills. And you would think, oh, what, how could anyone make money just from talking about how they cook and how they create a dinner? Well, I said, do you know Martha Stewart? She's built an empire on that. How about a person who is good at personal interaction, interviewing, and makes a ton of money? Oprah Winfrey. So these very good as well. Yeah. And so you look at that and you say, but the job itself, you really wouldn't assign that economic level to it. But because these people are doing what they love, it's the old adage of do what you love and the money will come. Absolutely. These These are examples of what that is. Now, you know, are you going to make the same amount of money they will? We don't know. We don't know where you're willing to take it, how committed you are to that goal. I don't think that when those two women started out, that their goal was to be multimillionaires. Their goal was to sim- simply share their skill sets. That's all. Yeah. And this is it. I think a lot of people are very cautious in their life and they don't want to to come out of their comfort zone as you've said they want to stick with that guaranteed job for mcdonald's or whoever this big corporation is because globalization and monopolies they're always going to be there and yes there is an argument for that but the biggest risk is actually taking no risk and if you are living in your comfort zone your life's gonna be very very boring if you if you were to write us a story about your life who would read it? How interesting would it be? We read all these stories, you know, your Harry Potter's, as we said earlier, and Game of Thrones and Last Kingdoms and, and all of these sort of books and, and stories. And the reason we enjoy them is because of the the topping and tailing, this obstacles, the, the hero jumps over the obstacles, it's the overcoming the monster, it's the, it's the quest story, it's the rags to riches story, because there's only really seven types of stories anyway. And 
if you are the hero in your own story and you are the main protagonist, why are you making your story so boring? And that's that's how I started started to think now. Right. And people will often say to me um, after they hear some of my story, uh, where I am today, gee, I wish I had your life. And my response is always the same, Jivan. That's fine, as long as you'd be willing to go through what I did to get here. Absolutely, that's it. They're only seeing where I am today. And so, you know, in other podcasts, I'll talk about the obstacles that I dealt with. People used to tell me I was my own worst enemy. And I didn't understand what that meant. What I learned was I was standing in the way of my own success. And so then I had to define what success meant and what I was willing to do to change that mindset. So I think, yes, people will just sit in what's comfortable. Sometimes I think it's not so much about comfort as it is familiarity. It's familiar. Okay. And they there's not a lot of need for adjustment or growth. Like I said, with my father, he had the same type of work when he retired as he did when he began. So I think that there's that aspect. And then we had talked earlier about what can people be doing if they're considering making a change? And I think that there is an area that is now being explored where we need to give people the opportunity to grow that, which is innovation. Like you were saying, you know, we'd still be living in caves if it weren't for innovation. We would still be talking on the telephone versus doing Zoom like we are right now. And I'm wondering how innovation is being encouraged, especially if you're in a job where someone is telling you, well, this is what you do. I had that. I would go to my supervisor and say, you know, I've been talking to clients and I'm seeing a common theme that's coming up. Could we? And her response was, that's not what we hired you for. We didn't hire you to be innovative. We hired you to sit down with people, gather information about where they are in their job search, and then give them some steps that they can take. And obviously, that affected how long I stayed there. And it was also a situation, Jivan, where in the entire time, which was about a year and a half that I worked there, that I never received one, I wouldn't even call it a compliment, not even an observation from the person who was supervising me. Well, Not acknowledgement. Go ahead. Like acknowledgement, is that what you were referring to? You wanted to be yeah, Just nothing. You know, like I said, the only thing that she would say is, no, that's not what we hired you for. So I would come up with a new way of doing things. And my coworkers would say, boy, when you innovated that, it made our jobs a lot easier. It was a time saver. And they said, would you mind if I used it? I said, not at all, if it helps you. But nothing from the person above me in terms of thank you for putting that together, for innovating that. Yeah. So in think, our schools, so, you know, what are we doing to teach innovation? Yeah, I think for me, like the word innovation or um, innovating in any way, shape or form comes from two two different ways it can happen. One is inspiration and one is desperation. And we built most nobly when limitations were greatest. Again, this is a, a phrase. 
and for a lot of people I've noticed and you know I'm no no different if we can't get inspiration like for a lot of people they can't get inspired to to do whatever they need to do and they have to wait until they're in desperate situation or in a to a desperate situation to change why not change before that why not get inspired it's quite difficult isn't it um so in light of everything we've spoken about what's the one piece of advice that you would give to someone who does want to change career i would say be willing to step out of that comfort zone first of all because it's what's keeping you stuck and then secondly based on that look for opportunities to stretch so if you're considering doing something else there can be safe ways of doing it like volunteering while you're currently working just to explore whether or not that could be something that you would want to do next now as we age probably a lot of that will be based upon our experience so with my background it's not likely that i would say at almost 75 years of age i think i want to be a doctor Okay, I would look at that and say, it might be something that I have an interest in, but the reality is, given the amount of time it would take, I would probably age out once I finish that training. So there is also the reality that we need to look at. And I think the volunteer taking classes are ways in which we can gather that information in a safe way. So take a class in something that you might have an interest in, in like, let's say, mechanics, auto mechanics. Well, that's something that, you know, I've had experience with. I've fixed my own car. So, gee, I wonder if that's something that I could do as a, a, a job. Well, take some classes, get a certification while you're currently working. And I think you alluded earlier, Jivan, to short-term goals. Create some short-term goals for yourself. How are you going to get from New York to California? Okay. And allow there to be detours along the way as you have new experiences and you're talking to people and saying, gee, I never thought of that. I think one of the things that we do as coaches is we do inspire people because a lot of it is, oh, I never thought of that. And our feedback as a coach is, you know, from what I'm hearing, you could probably be good at that. So I had a person who was questioning his writing skills. I said, well, send me a, some writing samples. And again, that was a self-confidence issue. And I said, let me give you feedback on your writing because I used to teach English. I said, you have really good technical writing skills. You're very clear in what you communicate. And even though I'm not in your field, I understood what you were saying. So again, it's an, it's an opportunity to try things out, to get feedback from people. I mean, I had another person who said she wanted to be a restaurant critic. critic. And so she sent me a sample of what she wrote about a restaurant that she visited. And my first thought was, you need to keep your day job. That was not a skill set 
that she had unless she wanted to develop it. And she thought she was good enough, but it missed so much in terms of what a food critic or a restaurant critic would include in a write-up. Yeah. But again, she needed that. And that's what she's doing today is teaching cooking. That's what she's good at. Yeah, it's all about exposure, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, sometimes you might find yourself, as you said, about the food, because that's a great example. She tried the food critic, but actually it was still in that same area, but it was something slightly from a slightly different angle that was was correct. And you might find that it's you're only two percent out in terms of where you should be. And sometimes we need to throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. You might need to right. try for three, four, five different things and see what it is that, that you want to do. If people want to reach out to you, how can they do that? Well, they can do it through my website, which is davidpetrovaycoaching.com. And on the website are my email address and my phone number that they can reach out to me. And part of what I love about what I do, Jivan, is to help people grow their potential. Not, not even so much recognize it because that's the beginning stage. But once they've recognized what it is, to take those steps, to create that plan for how they grow that. And then the joy for me is when they come back to me and say, I'm doing that kind of work today. And I love what I'm doing. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Great way to finish. Um so I'm going to obviously leave where people can get in touch with you in the notes. Um, but thanks very much for all your great information today. Um, and thanks again for being on the show, David. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure and it's been an enjoyable experience. You've done a great job as an interviewer in the podcast. Thank you very much, David. You have a great day. You too. Thanks again.